restart. Be Real is presented by California College of the Arts MFA in Writing Program. Getting an MFA at their art school setting in San Francisco means you can paint and write, design and write, and make a film and write. You can also just write. Look for their faculty member Leslie Carol Roberts' critically acclaimed Here is Where I Walk, Episodes from a Life in the Forest, out now from University of Nevada Press, and Adam Nemetz, We Can Save Us All, from Unnamed Press. For more information, power on your computer and visit cca.edu slash writing MFA. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real welcome one and all to a movie reviewing reappraising genre hopping podcast on the playlist podcast network this is be real my name is chance solem pfeiffer and my name is Noah Ballard. You feeling good that we're both uh, registering on the visual spectrum today? Yes, I can see you. You can see me. I thought it would have been funny, like the conceit of us like having a FaceTime where it's just the microphones and you we're talking, but oh, we're not actually sure. there. Yeah, we should get a webcast going of this. Get a YouTube channel started so we can like have comical goofs like that where you just see the microphone and no person. People would, as far as things that I want to watch. That's way up there. Um, But I think it would rank in fifth behind the four movies we're talking about on today's Invisible Folks podcast. We are discussing the new Lee Whannell Invisible Man starring Elizabeth Moss, which came out just this past weekend. We're going to deck back to 1933 for the OG Universal James Whale Invisible Man. We are going to talk about the John Carpenter 1992 movie Memoirs of Invisible Man. No, visibly shaking his head. (laughs) Something you can't see. Do you have anything besides Invisible Movies? (laughs) Jeffy Chase Pitt. And we're going to talk about 2000's Hollow Man. Of course, before we officially start the quartet, we want to remind you that we are proud to be a part of the Playlist Podcast Network and would love you to listen to our sibling shows like The Fourth Wall, The Discourse, and Indie Beat. Please get the network wherever you get your shows, whether that be Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or elsewhere. Give us a nice rating. Say hey. So, it's a four-movie episode today because we got ambitious and Invisible Man from 1933 is like, what, 68 minutes long? The people have spoken. The longer and more esoteric the podcast is, the more you guys (laughs) are interested. So, Let's start in the year 2020 with... The Invisible Man, directed by Lee Whannell, who made Upgrade, what, two years ago? And then made his directorial debut with uh, Insidious 3, but he is uh, very schooled and, I'm sure, wealthy in the horror genre as one of the co-creators of Saw alongside uh, James Wan. He um, appears in almost all the James Wan movies and has written a lot of them. So that is the resume of this director and noah what's the it's pretty easy movie to describe in the flip what's the setup for this invisible man so this invisible man well i think it's so timely too and i'm sure they knew that coming in uh but for this movie to get the same release week as the harvey weinstein verdict is like so interesting to me as far as the conversation that started around this but basically the movie opens with 
a sort of terrified Elizabeth Moss escaping the clutches of a toxic relationship in which she's stuck and she has to go so far as to like drug the guy sleeping next to her and get her bag together and you know scale the wall and run for it and have her sort of her the her sister come pick her up and her sister with whom she has like a pretty tenuous relationship at the moment mm-hmm. and what unfolds is uh get me out of an abusive a boyfriend from hell movie as the attorney representing Adrian's trust I'm required to read a prepared statement. Cecilia, although our relationship was far from perfect, I thought that you would talk to me rather than run away. Are you okay? What happened to him? He cut his wrists. Per his final wishes, you're getting $5 million. Contingent, of course, on the fine print. He can't be ruled to be mentally incompetent. It just doesn't make any sense. What? Adrian wouldn't kill himself. Listen, you're getting your freedom back, okay? Don't let him haunt you. Hello? This movie's terrifying. I think that needs to be said up front. Yeah, you said that you and your your SO, Dear Lucy, were clinging to each other for dear life. We were at the press screening, yeah, in the... Empire 25 on 42nd Street and from the first just like blaring note of the soundtrack we like put up the armrest and just were like holding each other for dear <laughs> life for the next 90 minutes or whatever. I think you hit the nail on the head though by uh citing the old Wesley Morris thing from hell movie cuz I when I think about this movie in the the lineage of the Invisible Man and especially like Invisible Man as a universal property uh, Universal Studios, I mean. Um, Not just in the universal sense. I don't think it really has very much in common with the like Jack Griffin, H.G. Wells character. It is much more like sleeping with the enemy or enough or like an abusive partner like thriller, but right. with this kind of tech instead of supernatural twist. I think the only thing it really shares in common is that idea of, like, how far will a man go if you can't see him? Like, his quest is not to be turned back to be able to be seen. Like, that's totally in his control. But the idea is, like, do you lose your mind if you cannot be seen? And he kind of does. I mean, obviously. I'm not sure this movie even interrogates that. I don't think it's definitely, I don't think it's on the, you know, the main he is entrees of this movie. Yes, he is pure evil from the beginning, and it's really the inciting incident that causes him to snap, not the slow deterioration of his mind because he's invisible and powerful. But that almost makes it scarier, because like even in the worst rendering of the Invisible Man trope, you feel like a little bit at least for like where this guy came from. Adrian is always, he's sort of like the shark from Jaws, like you don't really see him at all until the end. On the Playlist Podcast Network feed over, I think, on Friday on the fourth wall, uh, Griffin Schiller talked to Lee Winnell, and I thought one of the smart things that he brought up was just the, this is a $7 million movie. It made almost 30 domestically over the weekend. I mean, it's the the Blumhouse model totally paying off, Um, but stretching that budget by 
weirdly something so i saw this movie first and the way that he shoots like a doorway or a room and just holds the camera and absolutely lets theater of the mind do the work as you look at a door where there is nothing there and you think to yourself i can almost see him i can almost see him i think he is there weirdly like not an approach that any of the other movies today take at all but so smart and so cost effective yeah, well, I think all of these movies, other than this one, really do struggle with tone because mm-hmm. they don't know how to like how goofy to make the things falling over when whoever bumps into the table, you know. But this one like does not have any qualms about being a horror movie and really returning to, I think, what Universal was trying to do with their like dark universe thing. But to make a dark universe movie, you actually have to make something that's scary. And this is the only property I think I've seen developed that has that. Are you the Tom Cruise mummy didn't uh, send you into a tizzy? I mean, it bored me to tears, but <laughs> that wasn't that was just like scary in the existential sense. So this is the one that uh, was supposed to be Johnny Depp, right? And I can't you just imagine? I mean, I made a list of the other movies that would be fucking exactly like if Johnny Depp was the Invisible Man, and he was like, you know, kind of a scientist teetering on the edge. It would absolutely be like Sweeney Todd's Secret Window, that terrible movie Transcendence, and a little bit of like Edward Scissorhands. Like you know exactly why he was drawn to this sort of like alienated, powerful man. And God, would that movie have been awful? Oh yeah, there's no way that. Johnny Depp vamping around and totally invisible, like, wouldn't have been... It would have been so weird. And I don't know, like, how... Because, like, he's not the most interesting character of this movie, and I'm so glad they reframed it to make it to... Like, into this, like, believe women's story. Because I don't think the invisible man... He's, like, a problem for another character. But all the other movies, like, kind of shy away from... You know, Hollow Man doesn't make Elizabeth Shue the protagonist. She's que- like sort of weirdly the antagonist of that movie. But this one yeah. full, like wholeheartedly makes Elizabeth Moss the protagonist of this film. And that someone is invisible and the conflict therein is the interest. Another way to be efficient both with uh, runtime, theme, and money is to hire fucking elizabeth moss to be in this movie because from the beginning a lot of people have really praised the direction of this movie and the handling of the material and i think the direction is like pretty good i but i think that uh if you swap in a league average actor for elizabeth moss this is an average to above average movie but from the very first moment she wakes up at the beginning in the bed and tries to get out of the house she is just selling the true like you know bone and nerve deep terror and that's what she does the entire movie i think she's so crucial and her reactions to things too like there is i mean the soundtrack and the sound cues in this movie like do a lot of work like even in that opening scene you're talking about like when she kicks the dog bowl like that's just like devastating but elizabeth moss also like you know, she sells that terror. Like, she's also quite jarred by just this unexpected noise. And then just, like, the 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 frantic, like, she's got to save the dog, but the car alarm's going off and lights are starting to go on. And she still has, like, another hundred yards to run. Like, ooh, it's brutal. It's brutal from the jump. It kind of has a similar opening to 
Midsummer. We'll also, I think, I think we'll draw a spoiler demarcation point later. But the uh, final shot of the movie is very reminiscent of Midsummer. It is. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that more. Uh, incredible detail in that opening scene I wanted to shout out, by the way, is you're trying to figure out, like, through her intensity of this plan, like, how bad is this guy? Right. Um, <laughs> and the, I think uh, just an incredible smart detail is when she encounters the dog, Zeus, and lets him out, and Zeus just bolts into the darkness right, right, he's right, like oh right. shit the dog no that's how bad he is, is right. that his dog wants to escape it almost reminded me a little bit of the same establishing quality of like the raptor scene in the original jurassic park where you sure. like see all these guys super terrified and it's their terror around this thing you can't quite see that's more scary than like whatever is actually in the box totally gatekeeper <laughs> loading team pushing team so as the central narrative thrust of Cecilia, the Elizabeth Moss character, not being believed unfolds, I think the movie, again, just takes advantage of the simplicity of its premise and the simplicity of the conversations. Like, all due respect, I don't really think that um, Harriet Dyer or Aldous Hodge are like that memorable or jump out that much. But it's the, Oh, I it's like the, Aldous Hodge. I think he's fine. Um my leverage tnt's leverage from way back man i, I really you. liked tnt's leverage from way back <laughs> timothy hutton running a gang of con artists or whatever oh yeah but for God. good but for good right maybe the invisible man should try doing a little fucking good for once right it's a shame for this podcast we didn't rewatch the league of extraordinary gentlemen rewatch i didn't we we've watched that before with, yeah, yeah uh, we have we have I just I was overcome by how preposterous your proposal was. <laughs> oh, sorry. You didn't rewatch it as just like general cinematic knowledge, just to reminisce about his role in the adventures of Captain Nemo at Al. I have to say that uh, the game is off for me. The game is off. Um. Oh, but the thing I wanted to say is though the character actors around her don't do that much for me, but it is the resonances of the conversations where like people are trying to tell an abused person like it's all right be strong and i really am fascinated with like these social situations that arise in life where you're telling someone to like be strong and stay with it but every time you say that you're actually implying that they're weak like all this hodge in a very earnest way is saying she says don't let him haunt you don't let him win but in telling her to to get over Adrian and move on, he's basically saying like, so whatever it is you're feeling right now about being haunted by an invisible man, like you're weak for feeling that. Right. Well, I almost feel like this conversation you're having about Elizabeth Moss being surrounded by character actors. It's also interesting because it's it's sort of it's like her castaway or something. It's mostly just her on screen reacting to things that aren't there. A hundred percent. So it's like her versus the effects, which is totally interesting because sometimes it's kind of lame and hokey when like the knife like kind of bounces across the kitchen or whatever. But then to see her actually like thrown around rooms by and I think this this movie has like a, a good sense of when to use a practical effect and like when to use a digital effect in a way that it makes them feel seamless. Um 
But when she does interact with those things where she loses control and you stop being able to know what's like, you know, her being Captain Nemo playing with the tentacle that isn't actually moving. And like <laughs> what of her is like actually afraid and like at the mercy of some contraption that like we can't see. But if, if we can pivot a little bit, I do think this movie has some like interesting holes. Yeah. Should we, why don't we make a spoiler demarcation here? Let's um, spoiler here. We're we're doing it. If you want to see this movie, which I think you should, um, yeah, do do that. But fast forward a few minutes here, and we'll. It's one of the first like good and like also like broadly good twenty twenty movies. So for sure, celebrate that. Um, okay, what what's a hole for you? Well, first off, what is the relationship between uh, James, the police officer, and Cecilia? That's. I think that's why there's very little to play. Like, I think that it seems like Aldous Hodge and uh, Elizabeth Moss enjoy being around each other as actors. And Storm Reed, who was in uh, Starred in Wrinkle in Time a couple years ago, right. uh, she's very tall now. Or <laughs> maybe Elizabeth Moss is just very short. Um, but I think they all like seem to like being around each other as actors and some of the like bonding. No, but scenes. like the script. Like, what is the character's relationship? But I think, sorry, beyond a simple bonding scene, there's not very much to play because, yeah, I don't know what, how, who are they? I Why thought are they at together? the beginning that she was like the sister's boyfriend, that he was the sister's boyfriend and he was just no. like staying with her because she couldn't stay with the sister because Adrian would know her address. So it had to be like one person removed. But then I got the sense that the sister and James have no relationship. I think that's true. But then how does she know him? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I have a maybe bigger one, if you say what you want to say about that. I don't think that the optics tech, you know, he turns invisible because the suit ends up being, you know, thousands upon thousands of little cameras that basically, you know, play a trick on the eye or whatever. I don't think that's very compelling. In a category and a story that's founded on body horror and taken to its absolute let's even say illogical extension in hollow man i just don't think the the suit is very scary it's very neutering it's very like like marvel almost interesting see i think that's one of the brilliant things about the movie is not only to have it be tech that makes him invisible but also to smartly set the movie in san francisco where i'm sure you're surrounded by a lot of like tech freak psychopaths who are developing irresponsible things and making a lot of money very quickly doing it and also probably being sort of controlling. And I think that was important to have it set there where you kind of get a sense to also that it's a city with some great streets uh, sure. for those scenes. But I, I, I really appreciated the, the 2020 question of it all, you know, as we fear, you know, this community of inventors now and like what they're up to. I think it played on that larger cultural fear. I think maybe then you want to double down and talk about how he is imposing surveillance state rules in through other experiments or in other parts of his life. I think oh, you the want thing to make is it that, Batman. Uh, you want to make it dark Knight? I would be fine if things were Dark Knight. Um, but I just think that the extent of the tech is the suit, and the suit is not very scary. I disagree. I, I thought the suit was pretty scary because it's like a bunch of little iPhones like chasing you around, which is terrifying. Well, that, <laughs> that is not scary at all, but 
bunch of little iPhones chasing you around. That's not scary. Yeah, you ever look at the back of your phone and like really get like drawn into the camera? And, You're like, supposed what to it, look at how the it, how front. It what are you talking about? When you look at your phone, you're supposed to look at the front. Don't you know? But anything? you never like sometimes like put your put your phone down on its face, and then you like the camera, and you feel like you make eye contact with it, and you feel sort of the existential terror of being alive. No, I have stuff to do. I have to watch memoirs Got of the Invisible Man. Anyway, so we disagree on that. We disagree um, on that. Yeah, I just I think that if I had to pick any other nits, it would just be that like. Again, Elizabeth Moss is doing so much heavy lifting. I think sometimes the soundtrack, the Blair, is a little overblown. Um, I th- I don't know if it's really Lee Winnell's fault. I don't totally find it very compelling in any of these movies when people fight with invisible people. Uh, I thought this one was definitely the scariest one, especially okay, with how sure. gory um, the Aldous Hodge fight gets at the end, where you think he's going to like kill him in a like a disgusting way or something. Well, we have to talk about it. I think the better example of this is I could not fucking believe the public sister throat slash scene. That was incredible. <laughs> it was like one of the scariest scenes. That's such a because you think the movie's going one way and then it's it's totally derailed by that and you like don't know where it can go. It's such an important breaking of the dam because it's such a private haunting up until you're like, oh, holy shit. Adrian actually doesn't care who might see or he's willing to be seen to do well he's willing to take a life too to just convince her to not break up with him right like that's and that's when you know he's truly cracked but i would argue if the movie was from his pov that would also be the moment he goes from like abusive boyfriend to like totally unrestrained powerful psychopath infinite power are you now doing a bit about you not knowing the line? Or are you still I am just now getting... doing a bit okay. about me not knowing the line. Okay. <laughs> if you were still getting the line wrong, I was going to flip. Um, also, more incredible Moss acting. When she instinctively grabs the knife that's tossed into her hand, like because she just can't help it. Like Such yeah. great human sort of snapping into place involuntarily. Yeah. I think you did mention some character actors around her. I think... If there is one who steals the show, gotta be Michael Dorman as like the slippery lawyer brother. He's incredibly good. He is. Yeah. He's kind of got like three scenes to be like, I hate you. You left my brother. And then like, no, I sympathize with you. My brother was very bad. And then like, I'm with my brother. (laughs) And he kind of pulls them all off within the same spectrum. It's great. If I can be so bold, I think he's got kind of like a dark universe chance vibe about him. Oh, thanks. That's really nice. I like that a lot. He's a great yeah. character and I stand by what he does. Just the way that you're Amy or whatever from Little Women, you're also the the lawyer from Invisible Man. I am not Amy. You are Amy. Oh, yeah, you're right. What do we think of this movie? Are we going to have a fight about the fact that I don't think this movie is particular? Well, thematically, very powerful. Well, yeah, acted very urgent. Incredibly well. Yes, um, well made technically, I would say. It's a definitely well, a good, a first good, you think. Is it fun, though? Fun is not the first gradient, though. Fun is the second gradient. That, I guess that's what I mean. Like, is the, the I don't. No, you think it's I, good bad maybe i think it might be good bad i thought it was exhilarating man i don't know about okay. you i came out of that movie like feeling like 
that's what horror movies are supposed to do. You're supposed to be engaged with it for its runtime and like, you know, be pulled around by the roller coaster of the scares. And I really felt like this one, this one was legit scary. And if that's what you're looking for out of a horror movie, uh, I think it's a good good. All right. I'm probably being too hard on it. I'll give it a good. But good you're good. giving it a good bad? I'll give it a good good. Nice. Yeah, I really I agree with your assessment at the top. I think this is one of the most exciting movies to come out this year. Can I do one more nitpick, which I know we don't really have time for? Put it, yeah, do it, buddy. Do you feel like the Midsommar smile at the end is earned? My my audience just fucking gasped when she cut like when she cut his throat. Oh, it's fantastic! It's a great ending. I just am not sure. I mean, this is such a vicious movie. This is a blood for blood movie. I just don't know if the, you know, in Midsommar, the idea is that she has grown to a new plane and a new level, and I kind of wondered with the Cecilia character if it's just like this is utter you know, like, howling of the void revenge. Is she happy? Is she free now? Or is she a murderer who had everything taken away from her? I think she has played the system in her own way and celebrates that and finally not only feels... Because part of the movie is her competition with James the cop to, like, say, well, this is how the system works, babe. Like, follow that. And her being like, no, you don't understand. Like, the system isn't working here. And they have sort of three, you know, varying levels of intensity exchanges about that. And then so that final moment where she's like, he killed himself. There's footage of it. Right. You know, is her way of saying, like, don't tell me to calm down. Like, you didn't help me the way I needed to be helped. So I took it into my own hands and fuck it. The line of the movie, the movie is trying to make the line surprise, but I think the line of the movie is when she comes out and she says to James, oh, well, he killed himself. I didn't know he was so disturbed, which is the thing that people have been shooting at her in glances the entire movie. That's the great turnabout for me. A good good, yes. Okay. Invisible Man 1933. This is an original era universal monster movie directed by james whale who made frankenstein and bride of frankenstein stars claude rains as dr jack griffin the invisible man it's got uh gloria stewart as his love interest who ends up being do you know who i was just gonna pick out uh henry travers who's the angel in it's a wonderful life but keep going that's good uh gloria stewart the love interest uh flo is the old lady from Titanic. Oh my God. I did think that, that she was familiar looking. Mm-hmm. It's been 84 years and I can still remember Claude Rains being invisible. <laughs> but this is the glasses and the bandages and the, the wide brimmed hat. And I think that that iconography is as captivating and unsettling as ever. I think I made this joke in my silly letterbox review of the movie, but like, Nothing is creepier to me than when he disrobes for the first time the Invisible Man in front of the townspeople at this bar, and he has, like, put little patches of hair in his bandages. Well, it's a wig that's underneath. It's like he hasn't covered the wig totally. But that he has a wig at all is pretty strange, because it's like, where did he get a wig? Ugh. Yeah. 
Claude Rains does uh, much the way that Elizabeth Moss does the acting against the actual titular Invisible Man. Uh, Claude Rains does an excellent job as guy who doesn't appear. Come along now, come quietly. Unless you want me to put the handcuffs on. Stop where you are. You don't know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing, all right. Come on. Get hold of him. Lock him up. All right, you fools. You've brought it on yourselves. Everything would have come right if you'd only left me alone. You've driven me near madness with your peering through the keyholes and gaping through the curtains. And now you'll suffer for it. You're crazy to know who I am, aren't you? All right, I'll show you. There's a souvenir for you. And one for you. I'll show you who I am and what I am. <laughs> Look, he's all eaten away. Huh? How do you like that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. He's fantastic. He was cast, basically, they talked about how this was his first Hollywood movie. And he was, like, doing some screen tests for, like, a lot of Hollywood people. And they were very stagey and very English. And they were like, this guy, we don't, this is not American popcorn filmmaking. And James Whale heard his voice and was like, I don't care what the fuck he does. I want that voice in this movie. That's how he got cast. That's incredible. Well, I mean, that's mostly what it is, is his voice. Because you can't see him because he's invisible. Oh, one of the great um, like lines that I want to kind of extrapolate to this idea of how power changes or parenthetically doesn't really change these invisible men is um, when he reveals himself for the first time because he's been like super rude to the to the bar manager at this at this tavern and like thrown stuff at her and told her to get out. So like the constable and some townspeople come up to be like, fuck you, dude, you can't do that. Yeah. You're coming. Get in the paddy wagon. Um, but he goes, you're crazy to know who I am, aren't you? And it's both like a great Claude Rains line delivery. But also, like, I feel like that's a very subtle tip of the hand to like, brother, nobody's asked who you are. Like, that's not why they're bothering you. And I think that's kind of a subtle, like, megalomania thing where it's like, you think that's why everybody wants to know? The movie has like a lot of interesting moments like that too, like when the like main sheriff guy shows up and he's like, "Yeah, I've thought about it for ten or fifteen seconds, and I think this invisible man thing is a hoax." Yeah, and I won't be, I won't con- be convinced until, of course, in the final, the next scene, like half of his guys get taken out. Right. Um, but yeah, it is an interesting movie that like sort of obscures what's on screen with the idea of like, well, why do you want to know? Like, why right. is this happening? Like, maybe it's not even happening. I like that point. People have said this uh, as they've rewatched it in the lead up to the Winnell one, but um, it's kind of a sadistic movie because you are supposed to be on his side and find delight and wonderment in how he tortures people. Like, I do not think you are supposed to identify with the the townspeople. I think you're supposed to no. laugh along with laugh along with Claude. Yeah, he's like your classic antihero. Um but he goes like a little off the rails at the end, and then it's kind of hard to root for the just the sheer violence and bedlam that he's wreaking. Steal. I mean, he's like being a Robin Hood in some ways, but he's also just like indiscriminately killing people for sport. 
I forgot to mention there was one person in the new Invisible Man screening who watched the new one this way, and it was so weird as, like, you know, the Invisible Man is, like, burning her bacon and almost, like, burning down the kitchen and had to have one person in the theater be like, oh, my God, it's so, look at these hijinks. And it was like, how are you not on the same page with everyone else about <laughs> this movie? It's so I think I had that person in my audience, too, where anytime they, like, did an effect where an Invisible Man did a thing <laughs> that, like, no one was there to actually do, and they, like, lost it. But that's, like, that's the Hollywood movie thing behind this franchise. Totally. And that's what made this movie so watchable in 1933 and what makes the invisible man still a watchable property in 2020 is when you blur that line of like what is real and i think the going back to the 2021 uh the fact that you can't see what's digital because you could technically do this whole movie digitally but that it looks real is almost like the same trick as the 33 one is pulling in that you don't know when there is actually like a guy there in a green suit holding her neck and when it's just like her acting in an empty room very true and that's part of these kinds of movies i feel like they're smart because they work and if you can figure out the the trick behind them you don't have to spend a lot of money making them i mean like i feel like carl lamell like is the proto jason blum figuring out how to like make these movies cheap put out like a ton of them every year and like when a gimmick works you make yourself you know 10 100 fold money on top of that and if it doesn't you're not out anything i agree with all of that and yet i cannot really imagine how intensive some of these shots well that's the thing too like how do you make this movie like that's so weird to me but the shot where jack unwraps his head in the mirror is four different shots on top of each other because the the way they make him disappear is claude rains wears a black velvet bodysuit against a black velvet background which is not dissimilar from how green screen technology ends up working later right um but then they have it in the mirror so you have to make him line up with the back of the room you have to get it so it lines up with the back of his head and then you have to get it so like you can see inside his eyeballs we'll talk about hollow man later but that's like the amount i don't even really have the right words but the cutting and pasting of film frames holy shit it's pretty cool and it's pretty impressive to think that in 1933, I mean, if you watch this movie, they can barely get the transitions right, like let alone the special effects when his shirt's running down the street. It's it's amazing. Uh, his laugh is also amazing, and that supposedly is what uh, Mark Hamill mod- modeled his Joker laugh after. Incredible. Yep. What a good tidbit. I One of the things that doesn't work about this movie, and it's a problem with pretty much every movie we're talking about that concerns itself with the interiority of the invisible man is like what jack like wants or how he changes is kind of undercooked i get my understanding of the hg wells novel is that it is a lot more about social alienation and a tearing down of uh certain social and political hierarchies wells was a committed socialist around the turn of the 20th century this character in this movie, I don't think they really want him to express a political ideology in a 1933 popcorn movie. So he just kind of, I mean, he you made the infinite power joke. He's just yelling about power. At one point when he goes to the bank, he just yells, he literally says, money, 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 money. <laughs> it's not a very deep 
character study. What's so interesting to me in the way this one feels like a budget movie is the fact that there's no first act. Like, there's no establishing how he got invisible. This is why it's 65 minutes long. Right. Exactly. But there's no establishing, too, like, why his girlfriend's so sad that he's gone and, like, what they've shared together. Because he seems like kind of a douche, like, from the moment he appears at the tavern in the town to the ending when he's just hungry for power, as you said. So, and then his relationship with the doctor too, and like the other apprentice, it's very odd to, you you need that scene at the beginning where he's like bullying the other apprentice around. And that's why later on the apprentice is afraid of him. Right. I I would agree. Yeah. It feels like they cut out, they cut out scenes and it's unclear like why for a movie that's so short anyway. A lot of the charm and the possibility comes from, you know, running headlong into this story and just being like, there's a man outside in the snow and now he's inside and holy shit, look at this guy. <laughs> like that's part of, I think, why it's so easy to watch and enjoyable. But yeah, on that on that script level, it's not. What's well, so I'm impressed with its own special effects, I think, for the era that it's not as concerned with storytelling or having that like bigger horror allegory about alienation or something. The way that the new one really makes it an allegory for the way in which we believe women. This one doesn't right. have like that socialist, isolationist kind of metaphor going on. Right. Um, and it's also not scary. Like, I get why the original Frankenstein is, like, fucking scary. Or, like, even the some of the early, like, Dracula-level, like, Carl Amell movies. But, like, this one's not scary. It's just the guy's in- invisible. And I don't really think it's played for scare, is it? Um, I think that Claude Rains' presence is scary. Like, he's so angry in the line that I quoted before. Um, right. And that anger turns so quickly into like, oh my God, this man has no moral compass. There's something frightening about that. But yeah, beat for beat, not- like when he when he like shows up in the car and is just like, ah, it's, did you think I would not be here? I am here. He's <laughs> like, that's not that scary, of course. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's nothing that scary about like, oh no, he might not have a moral compass. <laughs> Like, that's, that's not what everyone's upset about in the 2021, is whether or not this dude's got a moral compass. Quite the babe in the woods over here. It's always very disappointing to me when any character's not moral. Are you excited to talk about Hollow Man with me? Yeah. Or when, uh-huh. like, it turns out that James Woods was, was, like, the bad guy the whole time. That's when you... That's when it becomes horror for you. Wait, what movie is that a reference to? It's one of the president getting assassinated ones that we did in the first episode. <laughs> five years ago it's white house down where like james woods is just like i'm a loyal servant of the president you're like no you're james woods you're james woods we only cast you for someone who's full of shit oh james woods is still alive in this movie he did it Um, he did all right what else i don't know man i mean this is a a classic for sure and definitely more watchable like maybe that is the thing that these producers and directors did for a future audience is making this movie by cutting out the first act. They've made this movie mercifully short. So I don't think it's that hard to watch a 70 minute movie uh, where you see some pretty cool, like proto special effects and people you recognize from other things in the future. So Mm -hmm. I think it's probably a good, good. I would say the same. 
I don't think nice. like the other like the new one. I don't find it tremendous. I think it has some glaring flaws, but I think they are both good. Good within this genre. Yeah, I mean our our rating system is quite forgiving in that way. Lots of B and B plus movies are good. Good. Indeed, and I mean we're in the beginning of March here, so we're only going to be dealing with B and B plus movies right. at best coming out. We're <laughs> our address this time of year is eternally ten Cloverfield Lane. Oh man. You think they're going to release a new Cloverfield movie soon? I do not give a fuck. Do you think like J.J. Abrams just like wakes up in the middle of the night? He's like, that property that I watched the other day, that could be a Cloverfield movie. I think he probably thinks about his like daily routine of like, I went to Trader Joe's today. That could have been a Cloverfield movie. Yep. Speaking of a weird movie in which Chevy Chase is invisible. (laughs) How about Memoirs of an Invisible Man? Not to be... What's that? No, it was a non sequitur. This is non sequitur the podcast. Well, not to be confused with what? John Carpenter's Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which John Carpenter refused to call it and still refuses to. Because all of his other movies are like John Carpenter's Halloween, John Carpenter's Escape from LA. He wouldn't throw the old apostrophe S on this he one? He refused. This was not his movie. Well, that feels accurate. <laughs> Yeah, that definitely feels accurate. A lot of good people were fired off this movie for like not agreeing with Chevy Chase that it should be a comedy or not a comedy or whatever they decided to make it. It's still unclear. <laughs> that is the central problem. I think this movie's so funny because I'll just say at the jump, I don't think this movie is that bad. I do not find it's it certainly act- not horrible. Yeah, I don't find it actively bad. But it's so funny when you go back and look at where it fell in people's careers. This was the exact wrong movie at the exact wrong time. And it completely ended like the box office popular viability of like multiple people. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, originally Ivan Reitman, uh, who directed Ghostbusters, like Kindergarten Cop and stuff, was supposed to direct this movie. And you could see this movie like being that kind of movie. But for some reason, it, like, is so married to this idea of being just, like, a noir and having this very, like, double indemnity opening to it where just, like, a chair spins around and Chevy Chase, not really in deadpan, is like, let me tell you how I got invisible. I'm, like, a complete piece of shit who, like, doesn't really go to work and now I'm invisible. It all started on a Tuesday in March. If George hadn't introduced me to Alice... Let's not do anything cheap and meaningless. Okay, what do I owe you? She hadn't been so spectacular. Maybe I wouldn't have gotten so loaded that night. Ten minutes. I'll be as good as new. And none of this would have happened. Something's happened at the Magnoscopics facility in Santa Mira. Next thing I knew, I went from high profile to no profile. What have they done to me? Wait a minute, who are you guys? Keep your mouths shut, all of you. You're in a state of molecular flux. If you want to live, you're going to have to trust us. Where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. I'm here. Sort of. I want my molecules back! Now there's a price in my head. Yeah, he is a stock analyst in San Francisco. And he's like a very lonely, successful man who just like goes to this old like 
the last robber baron men's social club in town and drinks alone doesn't even want to talk to people and uh, doesn't really want to do anything seems to be suffering from like some pretty serious depression yes but gets called over to a table by his maybe friend michael mckean and meets daryl hannah who is a documentarian is it a joke that she's named alice monroe i'm not sure I was kept trying to figure that it's spelled differently in the credits, but like Alice Monroe is a writer of note by 1992. Yeah. It's Weird. so interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. And John Carpenter doesn't I really wonder... do shit like that by accident either. So I have no idea. What were you going to say? Well, I wonder if it's like one of those like William Goldman, who's a writer on this, uh, one oh, of his right. flourishes. He's got, there's at least two lines in this movie where it's clearly William Goldman. Yeah. One of them uh, is the, Oh, tell your mother I'm kind and funny and transparent. Uh huh. <laughs> um, and then what's the one that I texted you last night? Uh, I thought my whole oh, life I've been, women could see through me. Yeah, I spent my whole life just having women say they could see through me. Yeah, like that's clearly the William Goldman at work, but I don't know that there's much else here. But didn't Goldman himself, like, by the end, he's just like, here's your fucking script. I'm done with this. And then, like, two more people worked on it after that, right? And he's he'd famously never seen it, so he couldn't tell you what that he wrote is actually in the movie. That's great. All right, But it's got to be those two lines, right? Our first playlist show. I love William Goldman so much. Um, I texted you about this. So to get more into the plot of this, yeah, this guy, like, he's drinking alone. He gets invited out to dinner and drinks and ends up hooking up with daryl hannah and then he's so hung over because he gets sad that they end up not having sex because she has to meet somebody else that he like wanders into a meeting at this tech company and while trying to find the bathroom he somehow sets a chain in motion that a coffee gets spilled on a processor and like the fucking building blows up but not blows up just everybody inside the building, which is just him at that point becomes invisible along with a pretty cool set piece of like the half invisible building. I didn't think it was great. What did you like about it? I liked it in concept like that. Someone built this thing is kind of fun. It would be cool as an art installation for sure. You get some interesting shots through it. But I think, can we talk about it pretty quickly here? The problem with this movie is that it doesn't want to be a movie about someone who's invisible because, like, it's a vehicle for Chevy Chase. Yeah, 100%. You see him all the time. Right, that's the thing. There are shots where he gets up from the couch and you can totally see that it's Chevy Chase, but he's invisible and that's just, like, in your mind or something. And... That's what he's doing, but he can't see what he's doing, but doesn't know that it's so weird. Why is it like that? Well, this completely ironically is the only one that is about the social alienation of the invisible man. Right. But he's the last person who would claim any right to be socially alienated in the U.S., which is a joke. And I think John Carpenter knows it's a joke because it's like a a bit where like his suit turns invisible too, which is funny. Like, yeah, you have to wear your fucking yuppie suit every day because like that's those are your invisible clothes, you douchebag. Right. But I don't think that Carpenter, who is pre- movie before this, is They Live, which is um. 
not a hit, but of course, in retrospect, is like a major cult. But that's presence. like camp horror. That is totally taking apart and critiquing the Reagan era. So I think now he's making a movie about this like listless, aging Griswoldian Reaganite. But I don't think he cares about this guy even in jest. I love that you just said Griswoldian. That, of course, is a reference to the vacation patriarch. Um, yeah, this movie doesn't seem to know like what to do with that satire, that potential goof there, though, which makes this movie super confusing. It's like some of the scenes are almost like if Whit Stillman did a movie like this, where you like have the guy with the goofy mullet showing up to the beach house and being like, Oh, I think Nick might have gone insane. And it's like, <laughs> what 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 year are you in? Like what is who what's this guy's voice or accent? Yeah, the tone is a mess. Because... There, there is none. There's no consistent tone, even like not even like scene to scene, but like moment to moment within scenes. It's also not a satire because like once you get past the fact that it's making fun of this guy who like I get that how some of the subtext is interesting, right? Like he's like a a white man at the end of a dying age of white male conservative yuppie dominance. And he goes to this club that's for another dying age of rich white men so he can drink alone and not talk to anyone. Like, I get what's going on there, and I get why Carpenter would want to poke fun at that. But the ultimate aim of the movie is not to poke fun. It's fairly sentimental about how maybe being invisible makes this man a better person, question mark. But also, he just wants to hook up with Daryl Hannah. He really just does want to hook up with Daryl Hannah. And that's the thing that's hard to get around to this notion the movie presents that all it takes is the love of a beautiful woman to cleanse all manner of sins. Uh, and then the final note of this movie also kind of drives that home that like if long as long as they're together and they're, you know, they can afford their ski lodge. What difference does it make? So strange. Also, this movie suffers from the classic like faux feminist gag of making its female lead like very impressive professionally and then having that not matter at all. No, it's just her job is convenient that she can take off like swaths of time and just <laughs> be interested in his plight. Just like a Peabody aspiring documentarian who like doesn't ever make Oh, you're invisible? Neat. Yeah, I thought it was such a misfire that this movie didn't end with her making a documentary about... Like, I thought that's what it was going to be when... That's fine. The, the opening shot is him filming himself. Why not, like, have that be part of the the documentary thing and then go with that? That would really make sense because also... I know this was a novel, but the title is terrible. So let's talk about where this falls for Carpenter and Chase. Um, Because again, I don't, it's not as bad as the Chevy Chase movies around it, which are notoriously career ruining bad, which are nothing but trouble and cops and (laughs) Robertson's. Yep. But like, this is the moment at which like between Christmas and Vegas vacation chase, like most needs a win. And this movie is not it. Cause who the fuck is going to go see a movie called memoirs of an invisible man. That is not like, that's like sort of like, you know, pseudo intellectual. Like, what is this? He doesn't movie? write a stitch in this movie. No, he doesn't sign his own name. Like, what are you talking about? Memoirs. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. And also I think sadly, this is the end of, 
like relevant Carpenter. I know that some people like In the Mouth of Madness and some people have some soft spots for those 90s movies. And yeah, he made a lot of bad movies. But um, it was They Live and then a four-year gap where he famously does not make The Exorcist 3. And then it's then it's this, which is no. This is a misfire. It's It's not like a bad misfire. It's just so uninspired as to like, if you didn't know this movie was John Carpenter, there's nothing about it that stands out to be very John Carpenter esque other than some of the special effects being like truly like the makeup face scene is truly haunting. (laughs) It is in its own way, hollow man haunting. It is. And seeing that like Chevy chase dimple chin sort of bizarro Kirk Douglas thing appear on screen is it's it's a very upsetting at the risk of repeating myself this was the other carpenter thing i had in mind is not only is he not interested in this character but these are the spaces that these upper class people are in do not activate him like think about his previous movie they live with that fucking drag out brawl in that litter covered alley between Rowdy Roddy Piper and Keith David, or the way we rambled on and on, I rambled on and on, about how he uses suburban alienation of space to make Halloween so memorable, or how he uses the uh, bass and the thing, which is like, nobody gives a shit about a beach house less than John Carpenter. It doesn't know whether it's like a Faulty Towers level like spoof almost like a stage like spoof or if it's american psycho or if it's like a chevy chase movie and it's none and all of those at the same time we should move on but i we can't leave without you talking about sam neill he's one of your primary problems with the movie sam neill is one of my i feel like it's it's total a total mistake to cast sam neill Dr. Grant from Jurassic Park as anything other than like a Dr. Grant type character. And maybe that's, I like don't, it hurts my heart to see him be so evil, but I also just feel like he's not very good at playing evil. Like, I think he's pretty horrible in this. He's like pretty comical at the end of event horizon where he's just like his face skins all ripped up. And he's just like, again, ranting about absolute power. If I may say, Liberate Tutte May. That movie is incredible. I mean, it's not very good, but it's incredible. I'm glad I turned you on to that movie. Okay. So this movie is a bad, bad. It's. I think it's I get, a bad, bad. Yeah. It's not. I, I, I thought it was going to be so bad, and it's not. It's just like a curiosity that's not worth your time. Okay. We're closing out here with Hollow Man. 2000 in the year 2000 which is 20 years ago i mean there was so much ballyhoo and rightful reflection around what a special movie year 1999 was 2000 is a weird one yeah it's a graveyard but it's also you can the overcorrection (laughs) it's the pendulum swinging back it's just the end of so many things, and it's the end of so many things without knowing it, right? Because it's the year that doesn't know 9-11 is about to happen. And so you see these 90s movies that are getting like a little like grosser and more acidic. And then you have some movies that are just 90s movies, like Castaways. That's just a 90s movie. Um, right. Do you think that Hollow Man aged particularly badly knowing that 9-11 was just around the corner? No, no, no. But I think it's the end of a, it's the end of the verhoven popular era he's done he is done after this in terms of 
ever get seeing this much money or stardom for a movie ever again. That's probably true. I don't know um, that he's like swung that hard in the early 2000s. What do you but mean? Maybe he can't. I just don't know that he's like been attached to any of that properties that interesting. It seems like he went back to Germany and did some foreign movies. Yeah, I think he moved back to the Netherlands because he was so depressed about Hollow Man. He's, he was so depressed about this movie afterward. Like that's part of the giving interviews about being like, all of my movies could only have been made by me, which like, boy, is that actually true? Except I think Hollow Man could have been made by 20 other directors and it was a waste of my time and I'm sad about it. And that's sad to hear from Paul. Sorry, I meant Holland. Okay. So, oh, I have a great fact for you. The budget of the new Invisible Man movie seven million dollars really not very much money would you like to guess how much the budget just for special effects on hollow man was uh i don't know what 10 million or something in two thousands dollars it was 55 on just special effects which calculates out to 82 million dollars today with what just for special effects that's nuts. Wait, what's the total budget for this movie? Uh, over a hundred. Wow. Yeah. Why? The effects are not that great. If I'm being honest, I think the effects are like the only good thing about this movie. Well, yeah. I mean, they certainly didn't spend eighty million dollars on the script. No. Or the perhaps uh, cracked morality that comes along with it. That comes for free. <laughs> that's free yeah was that the most horrifying part of this movie chance was when you realize like kevin bacon might not have a moral compass <laughs> all right so hollow man uh you have this very sort of egotistical bombastic leader of this research team and kevin bacon being funded by the government to figure out invisibility technology and they've gotten it down to this like radioactive injection that makes things invisible and they've clearly like you know from some panning shots through the facility that they've gotten it to work with other um mammals at this point and we're awaiting human trials he's almost like dare i say it a villain akin to spider-man's um what's his name norman osborne Norman Osborn. Of course. Like, this movie doesn't have the line back to formula in it is maybe something they had to cut out knowing that it would be more iconic in another film. Sebastian definitely does not want to go back to formula. Yeah, absolutely not. And he's he's ready to press on to human trials uh, with lines of dialogue that are like, you know I was never good at the paperwork and I just was doing this for like the rock star status, right? <laughs> So much subtext, like, just projected across rooms uh, as Elizabeth yeah. Shue looks on, powerless to stop the misogyny. The, if I can for a second, the even more egregious version of this is how many times he's just like, playing God, I am God. It's like, Jesus Christ. Right. What I didn't remember about seeing this movie 20 years ago was the fact that the second male lead is, of course, Josh Brolin in a totally bizarre role as nerdy scientist with heart of gold. Yeah. Matt Kensington, I think. Matt. (laughs) 
Oh, Matt. Has he ever, so has anyone course, ever been more miscast? Never. I mean, up and down, this movie's pretty rough. Sebastian, are you in here? So, what's it like being a ghost? Ghosts are dead. I'm very much alive. The question is, what would you do if you knew you couldn't be seen? Imagine the freedom to fulfill any desire. (gasps) Now, imagine that power in the wrong hands. Apropos nothing, he's like, human trials, I'm going first. Dupes most of the research team, even though Josh Brolin and Elizabeth Shue know what's happening. And then becomes... Drum roll, the titular Hollow Man. And one of the things that I noticed know about this movie is that he's not just invisible; he's hollow. Oh yeah, no, his innards are also hollow. Right. His heart is full and hollow like a cactus tree, as oh. Joni Mitchell would say. That's beautifully put. That's far more beautiful and touching than anything in this movie. No, this movie's dirty and has a black heart. Yes. So. We had a, I think we had a good like almost like single exchange yesterday where we pinned down how this movie is so Verhoeven, but it's not good Verhoeven. If you think about Total Recall or Basic Instinct or even L, the new one, you are led into an often sort of disgusting but fascinating amoral world by a character who changes and surprises you and that you ostensibly care about. And boy, is that not the hollow man. I was texting you about it. The idea that all these other movies in their subtle ways kind of question whether like a man would become a sexual predator if he was invisible. And this movie's just like totally doubling down on that. It's like, yup, he is. And we're going to show you how far he goes. And that's not necessarily as subversive as maybe Verhoeven thinks it is. It's just kind of exploitative i think i think if he drew it out it easily could be subversive i think there's a good movie in here somewhere i think if you are actually interested in how the absolute power of invisibility would corrupt say an average man or a man with certain tendencies and you have his you know black-hearted view of the world that could work i think the thing that doesn't work in a 2020 read is that uh sebastian kane is uh awful he's like making rape jokes the first thing you see about him is that he's like actively peeping on his neighbor who he ends up raping like he's already exhibiting such strong like rape tendencies for lack of a better phrase um let's talk about the effects sure yes there are moments where they seem like very that they seem outdated or what have you but think about your classic line of bulbous which i feel like you first broke out about the league of extraordinary gentlemen cgi this era of early aughts cgi which is so bloated like nothing looks worse than like overcooked (laughs) computer digital effects real is the issue but i think the cgi in here is so fastidious and is so like almost to a fault 
concerned with like how different parts of the body would look like part of the story behind um Verhoeven becoming obsessed with this is him uh getting really enamored with these like ecorches which are like those sketches those da Vinci like sketches of like the human anatomy like falling apart like layer by layer and they've oh, got yeah. the, those uh like, world those, yeah those like museum exhibits of like actual cadavers where like different parts are bi- like dissected and stuff like that um well that's one of the scenes in the movie too i think that shit looks amazing but it's because of how hard they worked on it i mean they mapped kevin bacon's actual body as he did calisthenics for days and days and days to make sure that everything looked like kevin bacon and i've never seen anything like that and i don't think it's because of the technology i think it's because how much verhoven ended up focusing on those scenes, which the scenes of the gorilla and the man turning invisible and back to visible, I think are the best scenes in the movie. I think those TVs are well used where they have like the heat map of these things like that adds some real terror to it. But I ultimately think that, you know, like I was saying earlier, this movie doesn't realize the benefit of the invisible man story is that like, you don't have to cast someone like Kevin Bacon and have him be on set every single day for a movie where he's not even on screen. Right. You know, use the fact that he is invisible to your benefit. And I understand, like, the appeal of, you know, it was cool to see the skin and then the bones and then everything kind of, and the nervous system sort of disintegrate and the veins and everything. But, like, what? how is that necessary to the storytelling here? Like, pick a more interesting, less stock group of, you know, our research mission is not what it seems characters right. that you're going to kill in violent ways anyway. Uh that's the thing. Like if you boil this movie down, what's left of it is like an exploitative action movie without like, what's the allegory Not a very good here? One. Like if Starship Troopers is like all about how like seductive fascism can be when you have a common enemy, you know, and that's hypersexualized too. All the best Verhoeven movies have that read. Total Recall but has that read. What's the read here? Robocop has that read. This one doesn't. That's why it's fundamentally. It just seems worse. like, yeah. Like what troubles me, especially about the rape scene too, is just like how long it spends on like Rona Mitra's breasts, like when she's just sitting there. And it's really like objectifying her before it then like rapes and parenthetically maybe murders her. We're not sure. Because mm-hmm. you never see her again. What's the choice being made there? Why did you have to cast someone who looked like that just to do that if the if it wasn't to tantalize in a way that feels somewhat problematic? It doesn't feel like I mean a lot of Verhoeven stuff is gross, but like that doesn't it doesn't have the thematic payoff you're looking for. Um the super weird thing about Josh Brolin in this movie is I actually think if you were to make the changes that we'd want to make in terms of character development in this movie Josh Brolin would make a very good invisible man because he has that sort of like ne'er-do-well charming but like what's underneath that which is like a lot of his best roles like the you know the Sicario flip-flop guys like this guy seems very powerful and interesting and yet not very full of himself um but like what's he wielding underneath that and Brolin exactly that's really what's subversive about these movies or could be is this idea of who do you become when you people can't see what you're doing Mm -hmm. i wonder why that's not the allegory in literally any of them this movie thinks that is though it's just wrong about that fact like it has the like yeah kevin bacon even has the lines like 
you can do anything. We don't have to look at yourself in the mirror anymore. And it's like, yes, well, that is, again, a very, like, making the subtext text line. But I, your character right. hasn't developed at all. Right. He just, uh, he goes from being horrible to being more horrible. And I got to say, though, and maybe you, too, as, like, a recent new pet owner, I don't like when he, like, beat that dog to death. Hmm. Sadness. I didn't like that part at all. Oh, Sebastian hasn't done anything grotesque in the last five minutes. Like, he should probably kill a dog for, what, no reason? The animals don't factor into the end at all. At all, yeah. It's just because he was annoyed. I thought that would have been a better ending, too. It's like, unlock all the cages and let the animals that are, like, fucked up on whatever they're fucked up on just, like, beat the hell out of him. That would be great. Yeah, the ending the ending doesn't pay off on a theme, either. Um, it's just, just like, the, the last 30 minutes are just your kind of average slasher movie as he chases him around. And the thing, the thing that really doesn't look good. I mean, I, I really do think the effects are quite amazing. Um, but the, the thing where he's just like sin, like a sinew monster, like tugging at her at the end, like that doesn't look good. No, the fire doesn't play that well. I don't think. Um, and if I'm being honest with you, chance, can I be real with you for two seconds? You may. I don't think Elizabeth Shue is nearly as good as another Elizabeth with an S Moss in playing against nobody being there. No. She definitely doesn't have the range. I mean, the script does no service to her. I mean, it gives her these like sort of clumsy, like paree lines to use against Kevin Bacon's blatant sexual harassment. Right. But then like the movie doesn't give her a lot like she plays with that magnet for a while whatever and runs around and does a lot of like things that i necessarily wouldn't do if i was trying to get away from an invisible guy i don't know it's very horror movie tropey i have that what i'm doing is agreeing with you sure sure yeah i think elizabeth the story of elizabeth shoe's career unfortunately is one of just like a lot of leading women of the 80s and 90s were like the left for dead in a government bunker somewhere (laughs) you can't put it better than that and this is the movie that would claim to not do that right she's first billed in the movie and i know that's because kevin bacon was brought on later um but yeah make the pov switch 20 years earlier that the new one does very interesting which movies choose to are just like lean into the like yes he is naked like that's part of it when i think back on the original invisible man actually like yes the he was naked of, in that one the the voyeur and by extension kind of like rape fantasy of it all i think is underlying the whole premise but it's just kind of weird at which point this movie is just like his dick's yeah, out like, like his dick's out <laughs> exactly and like boy a lot of cgi kevin bacon dick in this movie someone must have spent weeks and weeks on the moment of transitioning away from being able to see kevin bacon's dick yeah because like we go up the body and i'm like oh there's dick and then we come back down and i was like nah it's just a pelvic bone we are gone (laughs) yep the nerve endings have disappeared that's no longer a penis nice (laughs) That's the kind of those are it's reasons like that that you simply must watch Hollow Man tonight. I'm gonna have to say though that Hollow Man is not a very good movie. In fact, I would argue that this is a pretty bad movie with some pretty shitty rewatch value. And what else is there to say? Unless you're like a 
like a Shuby or like a Kevin Bacon person. Uh, Shuby. <laughs> I like that. I think this is a bad, bad and not maybe worth one's time. I agree with you. I think it's worth watching once to see how cleanly, but not very well. It fits into Verhoeven's oeuvre. Um, if you if you're interested in his thing, this is like a very moneyed, very strenuous example of it not working. Um, but no, it's it's bad, bad. It just made me want to watch The Fly, a movie full of really tragic character development on behalf of the egotistical mad scientist who is egotistical in one way. And then his experiment changes him and rechannels his self-centeredness in a, that movie is so good. And yeah, Sebastian Kane is no Seth Brundle. I'm surprised that Cronenberg hasn't thrown his hat in the ring and doing one of these movies, but I was going to ask you chance if offered the opportunity would you like to be invisible? And uh, and or what would be your the first thing you would do? Like all the things that come to mind are kind of bad. Like what what's the best you could do? Violence for good? Theft for good? Like I don't think any what what actually good thing could come of an invisibility power? I don't think anything. You could pull a pretty sick like angels in the outfield kind of thing. <laughs> Sure, um, but I wouldn't be more athletic than the outfielders, so that wouldn't work. Yeah, all the answers are, I mean, like deeply voyeuristic or, yeah, like stealing something. Um, the, the best thing you could do is like a maybe a Robin Hood thing, but like... You know what I would do is I would like sneak on to the Universal lot and I would just like watch them make movies and just like be <laughs> the ghost that people talk about. Totally for good. Well, but I think that's the point, though, is, like, the best you could do is, like, very, very self-indulgent things, because you are still just yourself. I'd be, like, behind the shot of, like, them doing whatever, just, like, waving my hands above my head, and I would know that I was in the movie. As a superpower, it is inherently self-indulgent. It is very self-indulgent, yeah. Well, my friend, this was a... This was a fun four movie blowout category. I'm a little. It was I'm great. Spent. I am a little spent too, but I never feel invisible when I'm on the line with you, Chance. You always That's give so me a lot of sweet. agency in my opinions about movies and things. So thank you for that. Cellophane, Mister Cellophane, should I bend my name, Mister Cellophane, because you can look right. Me, walk right by me and never know I'm-